what was it like to work on a book and get it released while having LinkedIn and then pursuing your EMBA? So the latter part of of that, which is, you know, getting the book published in the middle of all, all that. Like I said, I was, I felt like I was at a low point and I didn't understand why because I was working so hard and something in me, again, nothing is isolated though to one event. It, it must've been just like a whole bunch of events that led to this of me just one day sitting down and being like, nope, I'm going to put this book together and I'm going to publish it. Because my dream as a kid had always been to publish my book of poetry and have my name in Arabic written at the, across the top of the book. And I think there's something to say about having these goals and these dreams that you've had for yourself and finding ways to make them actually happen. It actually feeds you because then even though I was working so hard, I would write at like in the middle of the night, which is probably why my sleep schedule is still so off. But I wanted to make sure, you know, I think the other part of this is honoring your own voice. Because how many times do we say we're going to do something or we say we're going to write it and we don't. And I think there's something to say about me honoring my voice at that time while also working so hard. And then starting that, you know, the intersectionality employee resource group, building the community that I did. We, we did a lot of volunteer. We worked on a lot of, um, partnerships with, with nonprofits just to get them private tours to Tesla, which is not afforded to a lot of communities. People don't even think twice about these types of communities that we want to continue to support. And so I think all those things, like I said, nothing in addition to not having isolated events, I don't think any of these things are isolated in that, you know, it's, it's like a full body workout. It was only, the needle was only going to move if I focused in all of these areas. Can you expand a little more on what you mean by the needle was only going to move if you focused on every area? Yeah. I don't know that game that's at like, um, at, carnivals where you like hit the animal and then it pops up on the other side like you keep yes that game (laughs) um I felt like that's what life felt like when I would try to focus on one area and that's just how that was just what my approach felt like right so for a lot of people it works for them I needed everything to be moving at the exact same time and for me to navigate it to adjust. It's like finding the right mix to something that you're making. I was trying to adjust my ingredients along the way and I think I found it by the time I had left Tesla to be quite honest. I gave everything my I gave everything a hundred percent before I left, whether it was initiating and building the community, it was through the work that I did. I was still going to school and managing that. After the book was published, I was doing spoken word um, around Oakland um, and, and in other areas as well. And so it just, I started to find my rhythm and then I got a new job. And so that then resets you again, right? But at least now I was in a different direction. Now I was focused on diversity and inclusion work, 
as my main job and not the side project that I was doing, which is typically what ends up happening is you start investing all your time and energy in the side project. And sometimes it makes sense to keep it as a side project. So I'm not trying to like negate that, but there's definitely a, a part of it where when you make that your main job, it just, again, it puts you on a different path. And I'm always looking to grow. I'm always, I always want to evolve. And so if I need to be on a different path, I want to get there sooner rather than later. So, you know, in my 20s, I was, you know, I saw red flags, but I thought I had to work through them and fight for them and, you know, all of that. And then in my 30s, I'm, I'm a lot more confident than I was because I've invested in myself, you know, academically, professionally, emotionally. Um, I'm a huge advocate of therapy. And I think all those things, right, um, really contribute to my ability to move where I don't feel so constrained and I can show up where I don't feel like I have to sell my soul or show up as someone I'm not. And being even in that space is a privilege. Therapy is a privilege. People don't have that kind of money or time. And so when you have access, when you're able to become you know, someone in these spaces that can actually share with the community or give back to the community, I think we have a responsibility there. And that's really important for us to, to, to make sure that we are showing up in those spaces wherever we can. So what were the two programs at Tesla that you were supporting? So one was focused on our body shop, body shop and supply chain. I was on the project management side. Yeah, supporting business operations for both of those scopes. And then your EMBA, I'm curious, like, what is it like to pursue an EMBA? What school did you pursue the EMBA at? Can you give a little more detail about that? Yeah, so, you know, I always wanted to go to Cal (laughs) to let that be known for my EMBA, which is funny because I've now spoken at Cal a number of times. and one or two of them being uh, with uh, EMBA students. And so it's interesting though, because you know that schedule was not gonna work with my work schedule. And so I found a program up here through St. Mary's College of California. One of my coworkers was in the program and I was telling him, you know, how much I wanted to be back in school and how I was applying to different programs. I think I was also looking at Stanford. What I realized was the EMBA program at St. Mary's College was perfect because you would meet two times a week online starting at seven. And so it gave me a chance to adjust my work schedule to accommodate that time versus a lot of the other programs started earlier in the day on the weekdays. And then it was every other weekend, we'd be in school for like 12 hours on a Saturday. Um, So I, you know, it's a good reminder that there was a time when I didn't have my Saturdays uh, for two years. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I had to make sure that the schedule worked with work and then obviously looking at the curriculum and seeing the classes, they actually got me really excited. Um, Because like I said, it's in, you know, we're we're in the heart of tech 
and it showed up. I mean, Tesla even showed up as some of our case studies and professors would always talk about Tesla when they would use examples. So it was a really great experience in that way. It just, you know, the the tough part about getting a master's is also being in these environments where we're also not represented. So you're not highly represented at work. You're not highly represented in school. You don't really have a personal life because you're balancing both of these things. So it just becomes a lot, which is why self-care started to be at the top of my list while I was balancing everything. I could not I could not allow people to deplete my energy in ways that I had previously given them access to before I was trying to, you know, be successful at the things that I had signed myself up for. How much do you think solitude is critical to self-care? Oh, I think it's so important. Worsten Shire has a quote that says, my alone feels so good. I'll only have you if you're sweeter than my solitude. Right. It's this acknowledgement of like, who am I when I am with myself? Do I like me? Because if I don't like me, right, you commonly hear this. If I don't like me, how is someone else going to like me? And so there's something to say about where does your mind wander while you're by yourself? What are the things you prioritize for yourself when you're by yourself? And you don't have to think about someone in that minute. Right. What does that look like? And I think that's where the Audre Lorde quote comes in, because that is that is an act of political warfare. As a community, we're taught to always prioritize everyone around us, everyone in our families, everyone we can support, because now we have access, especially for those of us that have access that others don't. Right. There's this constant like you could be doing so much more, but I can't offer you anything if I'm if I'm depleted. So how do I make sure that I am feeding myself and then figuring out what is that balance I can have outside of that that would allow me to also give back? And that took a while for me to understand because I grew up in a home where my mom would literally, you know, she'd take off, she'd take the shirt off her back and give it to someone who needed it. And I think that's where things like your podcast comes in, right? Like, You don't have to go talk to every single person, but you can release content that tells people like, hey, if you're interested in this at your own time, at your own pace, you have access to this. But that's different than someone hitting you up and saying, hey, do you have 30 minutes for a coffee chat? Imagine if there's like a bunch of people reaching out to you that way. It's very difficult to manage, especially when you're trying to stay successful at the things, right? Like, I don't want to start, you know, being bad at school because of it or not, you know, taking care of my work responsibilities or my personal, you know, obligations because I'm here, I am putting all these other people ahead of it. That, that is a recipe for my own self-destruction. I think there was this moment where, and probably you've experienced it as well and other people listening, where like you're in a situation that's so overwhelming but you are so close to the situation that you can't see and understand that you need to pull back for you to do better at that thing that you want to do, right? Like, then you have this clear mind to assess the situation and you can assess the situation and be productive in a way that you couldn't be when you were so close to it and so overwhelmed. And that's also why it's so important for you to surround yourself with people who genuinely care about you. 
I think a lot of times, you know, in work environments and outside of them, we have to remind ourselves that we can't convince people to like us. Not that that's the goal, but at the end of the day, the people that are giving you feedback or giving you advice or saying that they're looking out for you, do they really have your best interest in mind, you know? And I think that's where when I talk about boundaries, when I talk about protecting your space, that's what I'm referring to. You have to be able to assess, are the people around you going to feed you, right? If I need to cancel on you because of X, Y, Z reason, that's reasonable. And and then you, you're not understanding. and Or if I'm telling you I don't have availability till a month out and you're not understanding, then that tells me a lot about where our relationship is going. Because I'm... I'm giving you a heads up, I'm being honest, I'm being transparent, but the fact that you have an issue with it, you're making it harder on me, you're draining my energy, it ends up being a long conversation, like it, things start to tumble and spiral as well, you know, and so uh, my circle has gotten so, so, so much smaller. It's hard to admit that you're growing apart from friendships, especially, you know, friendships that you've had for a long time and there's a mourning period to it too because you're realizing like oh I'm becoming this person and we're growing apart and I don't think a lot of people want to admit that because it's it is hard Yeah, I mean, on Instagram, you're It's Mona Khalil on Instagram, and I saw your highlights. I didn't watch every one of them, but it seems that you attend a lot of conferences that focus on, you know, like self-optimization, professional optimization. I mean, I'm curious, what has been the most profound moment for you at, at one of these conferences? Yeah, I mean, what's great is, so at the behest of Skype, I have to interrupt this broadcast every 15 minutes at 15 minute intervals to remind you that the software used for this conversation is brought to you by Skype. Uh, I should also mention that Scivio seeks to undermine the status quo and render the pursuit of higher ed equitable for all. Or at least it once did. How do you discover that about which you're passionate and can you have co-passions is that really possible maybe it is because you can have more than one passion that you're pursuing or, or would like to pursue and the reason there's that multiplicity that plurality is because 
each of those passions reflects the same underlying affinity that you have towards something. Um, so this interruption became a bit more stream of consciousness. Um, initially, it started out as the fulfillment <laughs> of a of a legal, technically, order. Then it changed to, well, I should plug Skivio if I have to plug Skype. And then it evolved into this deeper, almost existential, if not directly existential question about how does one decide what to pursue? Which honestly, this is coming full circle because is that not the purpose of Scivio Radio, right? I've interviewed people from a range of backgrounds and you find that I consistently ask about whether the path they're currently on was one they imagined they would embark upon, right? If this path that they're on now is it something that they knew from a young age, from earlier in life, from whatever point, whatever previous point that they were being called to, right? <laughs> if we're going to invoke a sense of destiny. Or is it really just the reflection of their wanting to change, right? There's nothing deeper. It wasn't um, from a historical or, or childhood, you know, fantasy about what, what I want to be you know, before I'm 30, because apparently uh, there's a deadline that's that's quite ageist, right? You know, uh, how many authors and writers only wrote their first book, you know, at, when they were 50 or 60, in their 50s, in their 60s, right? How many great things were accomplished by humankind from people who were in middle age or older? So I I honestly don't know where this deadline comes from. Thank you for sticking with me through yet another digression. And I return you back to my programming and this conversation. And follow Skivio on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, Facebook, Skivio is an active, so you can follow us there as well. But... Um, there it would only be a show of support. <laughs> it wouldn't be to receive any information um, or content or resources because I'm very big on that. You get to see people that are, you know, good at what they do. And typically they're telling the backstory of challenges they've had or, you know, speaking to their journey. And I think a key piece of these conferences is even just looking around and seeing people like me, right? There is a conference that we have at LinkedIn called Transform Her. And it's just great to, to be in a room full of women of color, right? And you're just, there's, there's a conference, the Students of Color Conference at, at Cal that they have at UC Berkeley that I try to attend every year where I just love being in the energy of community. 
the fact that everyone is showing up as honest and authentic as they can to give back to the community you know again it's similar to this podcast it's the whole point of it is how do I share what I know in a way that may be helpful to at least one person out there that's listening and I'm always re-energized by that and I'm just always grateful that people take the time out to show up in the evenings and on weekends to give back to our communities the way that they do and I just think we we do a great job at showing up for the community to let them know that we hear them, we see them, and we value them. Yeah, and I guess my final question is, what does a typical day look like for you at LinkedIn? Oh man, lots of meetings. (laughs) Um, What's great about the role is, you know, I, I laugh about meetings, but it's such a great way to connect with people from across the business. I love, love, love cross-functional work. I think there's something to say about, you know, you can put a chair in the middle of a room and everyone's going to describe it from a different angle. And I think it's so great to look at projects and programs and initiatives that we have from that perspective. And then in addition to that, I also have time where I'm creating and putting down my ideas and thinking through them and proposing them and structuring them. Um, And I just think there's such a great balance to that, that I feel like I'm getting closer to my professional goals in terms of the skills that I can use, but also the skills that I can learn from just being in these new environments, working with different people, understanding how they communicate and how they like to have things delivered. Though no two days are ever the same, but I will say by Friday, I need to be isolated. (laughs) So I can definitely bring that full circle with, you know, the fact that that space and creating that space is so important. So at LinkedIn, you exclusively focus on diversity and inclusion? Uh, I focus, yeah. I mean, our team is inclusion recruiting, which obviously has a diversity lens to it. But we also have a sister team uh, called, you know, or we also have a partnering team called the Diversity, Inclusion, and Belonging Team that we work closely together. So that team focuses more on employee engagement and what's currently at the company. And our team focuses more on attraction. But the I am of the thinking that you can't have one without the other. And at the end of the day, I'm an employee here. So focusing on both of those spaces is really important to me. So, you know, unlike, you know, me creating Intersectionality um, Employee Resource Group at Tesla, I partnered with two other people across the business to create these panels that we have at our San Francisco location where people get to tell their story. And we choose a diverse group of panelists. And the topic can range anywhere from um, failure to how we define love, to what family looks like, and really telling that story through a through a complex and diverse lens. Because at the end of the day, a lot of people in these rooms haven't had the experiences that you've had and or they can't even fathom that you've had them. Um, but also you have no idea what someone else in the audience can connect with. And I think it's such a great way to create community and workspaces where 
people are rushing to get from one meeting to the next or they're focused on their targets and their goals and objectives that it's really hard sometimes to remind people that at the end of the day, we're human in these spaces and we're having real experiences day in and day out while we're working side by side. Mona is, her handle is, it's Mona Khalil, K-H-A-L-I-L on Instagram and Twitter. I follow her on Instagram. I should also plug myself. She is in fact the one who pointed out to me that I don't <laughs> mention my Instagram handle. Um, and I, what I'm about to mention is not my personal account, it's the account for Skivio and Skivio Radio. And that is, strangely enough, under the handle Amina's Almost 30, A-M-I-N-A-S, Almost 30. For some reason, Skivio, last I checked, was taken, even though it's a word I made up. I'm Skivio, S-K-I-V-E-0, on Twitter. And why should you follow us, right? Well, I could go with an argument that has surfaced recently where there was research showing that female academics, and I quote, they have disproportionately, the quote starts with the word disproportionately, fewer Twitter followers, likes, and retweets than their male counterparts on the platform. And so, you know, assuming you've been a long-time listener of Skivio Radio, or even if you're not a long-time listener, but you're like, a long time like supporter of like the ideas uh, I propagate or try to propagate on this podcast through this podcast. I, I feel like I don't need to say much more to convince you to follow two female creators, artists. Mona's an author and a poet and has worked at Tesla, has worked at LinkedIn. So surely her Twitter and her Instagram are interesting. Me, myself, those who follow my Instagram especially know, like, rarely, if ever, do I disappoint. I'm also, like I said earlier, a graduate of Princeton. And so I go back a lot, literally for every conference this past year and this year, I went back. and they have conferences where there are panels about entrepreneurship, different topics. So I post clips from those. I even posted a video of the Supreme Court justices, Elena Kagan and Sonia Sotomayor, who came back to talk to us. They're also Princeton alumni. Um, and so that's part of what you would see on my social media, on Instagram. That's one argument. Another argument is, you know, Miss Bayouraisy former guest, uh, Facebook PM, she was saying or implied there's this concern some may have, how many followers do I need to get to be taken seriously, right? It's not merely narcissistic pursuit. It's, It's literally like, well, how seriously can you be taken based on the surface level metric that is what your follower count is? etc. But at the same time, these things do send a signal. For example, female academics who have fewer retweets, it's not that their work, their research is any less serious, right, or legitimate than their male counterparts. But then to people who don't know, like, could it not look that way? Like, how do they progress further? (laughs) 
compared to their male counterparts if like they can't even get beyond that threshold of like visually does it look like we are our research is comparable you know what i'm saying so i if i haven't persuaded you with this i will insert our handles in the description of this episode you swipe up an apple podcast to get it and click the links if you do want to follow us or at least see what we have to offer right like the follow is not you know by force right just see for yourself right again i get this message these messages from people that the podcast has impacted them and then sometimes i'm apathetic but then sometimes at least one time you know in recent history i get this fire in my belly of like well if only this episode could reach more people like imagine the impact that could have imagine how it could affect their lives and like what they choose to pursue going forward and when i say choose to pursue i don't mean like i'm trying to indoctrinate people and make people pursue tech or stem like just what they choose to 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 consider pursuing right because i feel like a lot of us growing up the realm of possibilities we have regarding like what we could become it's either like really really big (laughs) right like or really really narrow like oh i don't know all the jobs right and i feel like skivio radio has become this place where you literally can hear me have conversations with people pursuing different paths and i feel like if more people could listen to these conversations especially from the younger generations so at the behest of skype i have to interrupt this broadcast every 15 minutes at 15 minute intervals to remind you that the software used for this conversation is brought to you by skype uh i should also mention that Skivio seeks to undermine the status quo and render the pursuit of higher ed equitable for all. Then it would be easier for them to navigate stuff, right? Like (laughs) to navigate college, to navigate grad school, to navigate the post-grad struggle, right? That hashtag, as they say, as it were. Um, Why do I sound pretentious right now? defense mechanism anyway please follow us on twitter and instagram and continue listening to the show